Don't miss a four-person debate featuring candidates from America's largest third party running in a crucial presidential race. It's the 2020 Libertarian Presidential Debates, presented by Politics Weekly, now available. You're listening to Politics Weekly. To uh, be big underdogs uh, in the race uh, for the uh, the presidency. One of them is uh, joining me today. We can survive all those systems. What's going to happen if you legalize it completely? Politics Weekly is a podcast on politics, news, and principles. Welcome back to Politics Weekly. This is our first episode in a couple weeks. Um, so we got a number of stories to go through. Uh, but we're back again with a longtime guest, Omar Yacobi. Omar, thank you for joining me once again. Sure thing. All right, let's get right. Well, first of all, uh, a couple things. Um, so first of all, I want to tell everybody if you haven't, already checked it out. We already have our reaction here on Politics Weekly to our reaction to the second round of Democratic debates. So if you want to go check those out, go check those out now. Uh, And we also hosted a Libertarian debate, as many of you already know. Um, It's breaking records. I think it's like the most uh, listened to uh, podcast on here of the year. So go check that out. But anyways, before we get into the news, for those who are new uh, to uh, to this podcast or haven't heard you on our show before, do you want to tell people a little bit about what you do on Political Window? Uh, Sure. I I run a news aggregation feed on uh, Twitter and Facebook. The shortcut is P-O-L-W-N-D-W, and uh, I just try to keep everyone current on... uh, all politics-related news, but also where it intersects with uh, science and business as well. All right, then let's jump right into the news. So the first story, of course, is about uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, As most people probably know right now, uh, uh, businessman slash uh, mogul uh, Jeffrey Epstein killed himself uh, a couple weeks ago. Um... Uh, a lot of questions right now uh, as to how, as to why he wasn't, uh, why, even though he was on suicide watch, why uh, people were unable to find, uh, people were unable to prevent that despite him being on suicide watch. Um, there was a, uh, a letter that he wrote uh, a couple days before his suicide Um uh, right now, President Trump on Twitter uh, uh, retweeting a video uh, uh, claiming uh, that the Clintons uh, had something to do with the death of Jeffrey Epstein. Omar, what are your thoughts on this matter? Uh, well, I mean, just uh, as a person, I, I found it kind of shocking and confusing, and I, I can understand where these conspiracy theories are, are coming from because, yeah, he, he should have been on. Watch and this shouldn't have happened. 
Um, sometimes people mess up, though, and it was kind of sad to see a position of, of, of someone in a, such authority like President Trump um, give voice to those, uh, those I, I would call them pretty far-out theories at this point, because we have no evidence that there was any wrongdoing. Um, so I, I hope that it's investigated thoroughly and that people are held accountable. Uh, but I, I think it's too soon to say, oh, yeah, that was definitely you know, somebody. We, we don't know for sure that this was... Uh, a nefarious act. Okay. Uh, let's uh, move on then uh, to the next story. Uh, so to di- so right now, uh, there's been a lot of talk for the last couple months about a lot of the Democrats running in the 2020 Democratic presidential primaries. Uh, however, now it's looking more and more like uh, Donald Trump could have more challenge on the Republican side. Right now, only one person is challenging Donald Trump uh, for the presidency, or before this there was, and that was former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld, although he did fail to gain uh, a decent amount of traction. However, that changed uh, this morning uh, when former Illinois Congressman uh, Joe Walsh uh, announced that he would be running. Walsh, uh, who uh, served as a congressman, uh, from 2011 uh, to 2013 um, in uh, Illinois, um, he represented uh, Illinois' 8th Congressional District in the U.S. House of Representatives, not to be confused with the singer Joe Walsh. Um, he announced that he will be challenging Donald Trump today. Uh, he was a former uh, Tea Party uh, advocate, um, and he announced today that he would be running. Uh, Walsh, uh, today on the morning show, apologized for uh, past comments, controversial comments he made about former President Barack Obama. Uh, Walsh himself was a Trump supporter uh, up until last year when he expressed uh, discouragement uh, over Donald Trump's uh, handling with Va- Vladimir Putin, uh, and now Walsh plans to run as a Republican challenging Mr. Trump. Uh, also, uh, it would appear that Donald Trump may have another challenger uh, from former South Carolina Governor Mark Sanford. Uh, the former congressman and former uh, governor of South Carolina, he served uh, in the position uh, of uh Governor of South Carolina from 2003 to 2011. Um, He also served in the U.S. House of Representatives, representing South Carolina's first congressional district twice, from 1995 to 2001 and from 2013 to 2019. Uh, He gained national attention in 2018 when Donald Trump actually uh, endorsed... uh, 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 Sanford's primary challenger over Sanford. Uh, Sanford later went on to lose to his primary challenger, uh, then-state lawmaker Katie Arrington, uh, who then w- went on to lose to Democrat Joe Cunningham uh, in the eventual election. Um, Sanford now has uh, expressed... Uh, cri- he has expressed criticisms towards President Trump uh, over his handling over uh, of the debt ceiling uh, and says he is considering a challenge to Trump. However, he did say 
that he would vote for Donald Trump over uh, a generic Democrat running in 2020. Omar, what are your thoughts uh, on Joe Walsh running? Do you think he has he poses a legitimate threat to President Trump? And what are your thoughts on the rumors now that Mark Sanford could be challenging Donald Trump on the Republican line? I think there's some sweet irony in, in Mark Sanford proposing a run uh, just because he fell from grace earlier due to an extramarital affair. Uh, and we know that you know Trump has had several ex-wives. So the, the party of family values is, is having an interesting roster there, an interesting moment. Um, as far as Walsh, I, I think he will represent well the section of Republicans who did not know what they were voting for when they got President Trump. They, they thought he would become more decent after a rough campaign, uh, and they saw that, no, that's actually who he was. Uh, so whatever the outcome of that, I think Republicans will have a, a choice. You know, do, do we stick with Trump or do we not? Is this how we want to represent our, our party? Uh, so I look forward to seeing that play out. Uh, and and uh, it will be very interesting. If, if Trump cannot be challenged from within, I think that will say a lot about the state of the modern Republican Party. What are your thoughts on Joe Walsh running? Do you think that he has the potential uh, to pose a serious threat to Donald Trump's 2020 campaign? I, I have no idea. Um, I, I think because he's a well-known celebrity, uh, I, I think he was the guy who was on America's Most Wanted. Um, I, I think that could potentially appeal to the, the law and order Republicans who voted for Trump out of a sense of safety and security. Uh, so I, I think if anyone was going to stand up to Trump within the Republican Party, he has the best chance. I just don't know if that's enough to topple him uh, just because of how much I've seen Republicans kind of circle the wagons around their current president. Now, just to be clear, we're not talking about the singer Joe Walsh. Uh, we're we're talking about people. No, (laughs) I, people, people get confused with the two all the time. We're talking about Joe Walsh. He was, uh, a congressman. He served, uh, from, uh, he served from Illinois eighth district for one term in the U S house from 2011 to 2013. (laughs) Uh, and and he was a former Tea Party advocate. He actually supported Donald Trump's campaign in 2016, but later decided um, uh, he later turned on Trump. He was disappointed with Donald Trump's reaction when he met with uh, Vladimir Putin last year and came out and said that he would not be supporting Donald Trump again. Yeah, that, that's funny. They even kind of look alike. Uh, I, I think I've been seeing their statements on Twitter and, and just getting them confused. Um, if any Americans out there are like me and don't know the difference between the two, that could actually help them on the ballot because, uh, you know, name recognition or, or false recognition in this case uh, could be a helpful thing. <laughs> um, uh, otherwise, yeah, I have no idea. Um, I, I didn't know that he was a state representative or, sorry, congressional representative. Um, and it's been a long time since one of those catapulted directly into the presidency. So I, I think if Americans do their homework and find out who this guy really is, uh, honestly, I, d- I don't know if that'll be enough for him to overcome President Trump. All right. Uh, well, let's move on now to the Democratic field, because since our last episode, quite a few Democrats uh, have been dropping out, starting with uh, former Alaska Senator uh, Mike Gravel, uh, Mike Gravel, of course, was 
the senator from Alaska from 1969 to, to, to 1981. Uh, he made a political comeback uh, in 2008 when he ran for president as both a Democrat and a Libertarian. Um, however, he, um, he, he ran again in 2020. Um, he didn't want to, but he was convinced by a group of teenagers to run. Uh, those teenagers later became, uh, his campaign managers. Um, uh, Gravel said, although he didn't want to be president, he was hoping to make it onto the debate stage, uh, so that he could take on, uh, some of the bigger, more moderate Democrats that he disagreed with, such as former U S vice president, uh, and democratic party frontrunner. Uh, for the nomination, Joe Biden. Um, however, um, uh, Gravel failed to break 1% in any verified polls by the Democratic National Committee and was barred from both debates despite reaching the 65,000 donor threshold. All right, so uh, moving on to the story. So Mike Gravel... Uh, he had teenagers running his campaign. He was 89 years old. He said he didn't want to be president, but he wanted to make it onto the Democratic debate stage so he could attack some of the more moderate candidates, uh, like former U.S. Vice President and Democratic primary frontrunner Joe Biden. Uh, however, uh, uh, Gravel failed to break 1% in any poll verified by the Democratic National Committee despite making the 65,000 uh, donor threshold that was needed for him to make it onto either of the debate stages. After failing to make it onto the, de the second debate stage, Gravel announced that he would not be, he announced that he would be suspending his campaign for president. Uh, the second Democrat to drop out was former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper, uh, Hickenlooper previously served uh, as the governor of Colorado uh, from 2011 to 2019. Before that, he was the mayor of Denver, Colorado from 2003 to 2011. He was also chair of the National Governors Association for a short time from 2014 to 2015. Um, however... Uh, he, uh, despite making it onto both debate stages, uh, uh, John Hickenlooper still polled poorly, uh, amongst other Democrats, only averaging about 1% in the polls. Hickenlooper, uh, tried to run a more moderate, uh, campaign than other candidates such as Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders and Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. Uh, however, he failed to break through. Uh, in poll numbers, and has announced that he will be withdrawing from the race for president as well. Uh, the third candidate uh, is Washington Governor Jay Inslee. Uh, Inslee, uh, who's been serving as governor uh, of, uh, uh, who's been serving serving as governor of the state of Washington since uh, 2013. Um, he also served uh, as a U.S. representative uh, representing Washington's 4th Congressional District from 1993 to 1995 and representing the 1st Congressional District from 
1999 to 2012, um, he uh, attempted to make the focal point of his candidacy uh, about climate change and climate change alone, uh, focusing less time on other issues and most uh, of the attention on the issue of climate change. he made the case that he was the only Democratic candidate that would make climate change the most important uh, issue of his campaign. However, he too only averaged about 1% in the polls, despite make it, uh, making it onto both rounds of debates. Uh, Inslee has now dropped out. He says that he will. Uh, uh, he has dropped out. Um, and the fourth camp uh, candidate... Uh, was uh, none other than uh, Massachusetts uh, Congressman Seth Moulton. Uh, Moulton announced this week that he will be dropping out. Uh, Moulton currently uh, has been representing Massachusetts' fourth con- or sorry, sixth congressional district since 2015. So those are four Democrats that have dropped out of the field. Now you may be wondering, what are they going to do next? Well. Gravel says he's going to start a progressive think tank with the teenagers that ran his campaign. Hickenlooper has announced his candidacy for U.S. Senate in Colorado, challenging Republican uh, incumbent Cory Gardner in a state that Hillary Clinton won by five points. Um, uh, um, Inslee has said that he will run for a third term as Washington's governor, which would make, if he does win, he'll be the first governor since 1972 to win a third term in Washington. And Seth Moulton is likely to run for re-election in his district. Omar, what are your thoughts on all these candidates withdrawing from the race for president? Uh, well, I would say the more, the better, the sooner. <laughs> um, I, I think the, the one... I forget which guy who dropped out to run for Senate. I think it was Hickenlooper. Hickenlooper, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Beto O'Rourke should follow his lead, I think. He's, he's really needed at the Senate level in Texas. Uh, and I, I think his hometown paper wrote an article to that effect. And he hasn't gained a lot of traction on the national stage like these other candidates. Um, I, I think the sooner Democrats have a narrower field and a clearer choice, uh, the sooner we can resolve this conversation and unite around defeating Donald Trump. Uh, so I, I admire these candidates for realizing that it's just not in the cards for them and, and uh, putting party ahead of their, their personal ambitions. Um, Mike, Mike Gravel has been a known quantity for a long time. I, I was surprised he even ran as a Democrat. <laughs> so to, to hear him drop out this early, I mean, that, that's just an example of a classy guy who knows when it's time to fold. Um, okay, well, moving on. Uh, believe it or not, despite all the candidates dropping out, there's one candidate who may be getting in. Uh, California attorney Michael Avenatti uh, previously said that he would uh, not be running for president, uh, endorsing former U.S. Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, However, uh, Avenatti is saying that he's rethinking his uh, initial position. Uh, Avenatti now saying that he's 50-50 on whether he is going to run for the presidency. Um, on top of that, uh, uh, former Georgia state lawmaker Stacey Abrams is now saying she will not run uh, for uh, president. Stacey Abrams uh, previously uh, made national headlines after she lost 
a race for governor in Georgia, a state Donald Trump won by six points, by just two points, um, which had led people to speculate that she might either run for U.S. Senate against incumbent Republican David Perdue or seek the presidency. Uh, Stacey Abrams, a couple months back, announced that she would not uh, run in the Senate race against David Perdue, uh, which uh, led to specu- which further led to speculation that she would be running for president. However, Abrams saying this week uh, that that she is not going to seek out the presidency. Omar, what are your thoughts on Abrams not running, and what are your thoughts on Avenatti potentially running? Uh, yeah, I've never heard of Avenatti. I don't know what... He was the Stormy Daniels him. lawyer. Oh, that guy? Oh, yes. Oh, wow. That, that, that's a little bit... Wow. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I don't think he should enter the race. Uh, that, that sounds like a terrible idea. Um, I, people don't like lawyers. Uh, I, the fact that he gained national prominence through that route, it I, actually sounds harmful to the party to me. Uh, so I, I hope he really considers the polling if he's done any and, and uh, treads carefully. Uh, Stacey Abrams, I, I think, made the right decision uh, by staying out. She doesn't have that high of a national profile, and, and she's not super, super experienced. Um, and she has announced that she will focus on improving the voting rights situation, which I, I think is a great use of her uh, skills and abilities for now. All right. Uh, well, let's move on. So Democrats hoping to get a number of seats uh, to flip the Senate uh, in 2020. However, uh, one Republican uh, has announced, uh, obviously Republicans are hoping not only can they keep their Senate majority, but they could potentially flip a few blue seats. Uh, right now, this week, um, one uh, candidate uh, announced uh, that he is going to get in, and that is in the state uh, of uh, Minnesota. Um, uh, that candidate is uh, Republican Jason Lewis. Uh, Jason Lewis, who was the who was a former talk show host, uh, served in the U.S. House of Representatives, representing Minnesota's second district for one term from 2017 to 2019. Uh, in 2018, he lost re-election to Democrat Angie Craig, but he's hoping to make a political comeback, saying that he will get it enter the race, challenging incumbent Democrat Tina Smith. Uh, Minnesota is a traditionally Republican or is a traditionally Democratic state. I'm sorry. Um, uh, the last Republican who carried it was Richard Nixon in 1972. However, Republicans have been seeing a glimmer of hope recently as uh, Hillary Clinton carried the state by just a point in 2016, which has led to hopes that Republicans could potentially flip the seat uh, and uh, win more uh, seats in the, win more offices statewide in the state. What are your thoughts on Jason Lewis entering? the Minnesota Senate race, and does he have a legitimate chance of winning? I, I've never heard of him until today, so I, I don't know uh, what kind of personality draw he has, because you know, not, not all politics is focused on substance and policy these days. Um, but I, I know as, as Minnesota state politics, and I know that it's been held up as an example of you know, the Minnesota economy doing better than neighboring Wisconsin. 
uh, and that, that's been a sharp contrast lately because of the, the policies of that um, Republican governor, his name is Scott, I believe. Scott Walker? Scott Walker, yes. Uh, so you have a contrast there, and I think Democrats have a very solid substantive policy case to make, uh, but that's not necessarily what decides elections these days. So it'll be interesting to watch. Um. All right, so uh, let's move on then. So two uh, major political figures died, one on the uh, this week, one on the left and one on the right. Uh, the first one was former Louisiana Governor Kathleen Blanco. Blanco died at the age uh, of 76 this week. Uh, she was fighting pancreatic cancer. Uh, Blanco uh, served as the Democratic governor of Louisiana, an overwhelmingly red state, uh, from 2004 to 2008 for one term before declining to run for re-election. Uh, Blanco was most well-known for serving as governor of Louisiana during, uh, the, uh, during the, uh, Hurricane Katrina, um, and she, uh, has now passed away. The other one, uh, was, uh, David Koch, who died at the age of 79. David Koch, uh, was a conservative, uh, uh, donor, uh, who is either famous or infamous, uh, depending on how you look at him, depending on what side of the political spectrum you, uh, go on. He was known for, uh, helping to fundraise for a lot of, uh, and donate a lot of his wealth, uh, to, uh, Republicans running, uh, for the, uh, for offices. Um, one, uh, in, in 1980, he actually was the libertarian, uh, nominee for vice president uh, appearing on the ballot. Uh, David Koch was 79. Uh, what are your thoughts, Omar, on the death of Kathleen Blanco and David Koch? Uh, well, I, uh, it's interesting that you pair the two together because <laughs> uh, it makes it more difficult for me to respond. But I, I, in terms of Mr. Koch, uh, I did read a post on Facebook pointing out that you're not supposed to speak ill of the dead, but that only applies to family members. Because uh, <laughs> uh, Mr. Koch did uh, a fair amount of damage, uh, I think, to American politics, which, you know, depending on your leaning, maybe you like that. Uh, but I think one of the issues that stood out most to me from his history was in the 1990s, there was bipartisan consensus on uh, how to deal with climate change. And Republicans came forward with all sorts of market-based approaches that would have helped us address the issue. And it was David Koch who stepped in and said, wait a minute, uh, let's confuse the science on this a little bit. And uh, maybe this level of uncertainty we have about the exact degree of warming can be used to discredit the whole notion of global warming. And I, I think the damage that he did uh, is just so difficult to undo now. Uh, and that, that's not, I, I don't think that will be seen as a positive legacy, uh, you know, 20, 30 years from now, when, when all the consequences of this issue become more clear. And uh, hopefully we can act before then. Uh, Ms. Blanco, I, I haven't heard much about. Um, I think she was a pretty middle-of-the-road governor. Um, I, I don't think her legacy is all that controversial. All right. Uh, well, let's move on then to uh, another issue. 
Uh, so, uh, CNN anchor Chris Cuomo uh, coming under fire this week uh, for a leaked video uh, showing him having a meltdown after being called Fredo. This is a reference, of course, to the 1972 motion picture, uh, The Godfather. This is a reference to one of the characters in the movie. Um, CNN spokesperson, uh, a lot of people uh, attacking Cuomo for uh, what for his response in the video. Uh, most especially, a lot of people are going after him for one moment in the video when he equates uh, the term Fredo uh, to the N-word. Um, however, uh, CNN spokesman uh, Matt Dornick uh, now defending uh, Cuomo, saying in a statement, quote, uh, Chris Cuomo defended himself uh, when he was verbally attacked uh, with the use of an ethnic slur uh in an orchestrated setup. We completely uh, support him. However, President Trump attacking Cuomo, calling him, quote, unhinged in a series of tweets. Uh, Cuomo also finding uh, support from an unlikely uh, ally. Uh, Fox News host Sean Hannity uh, expressed his support for Cuomo, um, saying that he handled himself the right way on his show. Uh, Omar, what are your thoughts on the controversy surrounding Chris Cuomo? Well, I, I can understand uh, Mr. Cuomo's frustration uh, because when you belong to a certain ethnic group or nationality, it can be very frustrating when a stereotype about that nationality is exploited and used against you. Uh, and I, I think in this case, I don't know if it had a very substantive... Uh, basis for the comparison. So I, I, I can empathize with that, and I, I understand why he called it the equivalent of the N-word for Italians, uh, because it, it is a very real, I think, kind of struggle against racism when you encounter these kinds of comparisons, and, there, and there's not much you can do to refute that uh, prejudice, that stereotype. Um, so I, I can understand that. At the same time, I am seeing uh, liberals not quite agree with him that this is the equivalent of the N-word uh, because the N-word has you know, been around for so much longer and it's been used as a dehumanizing and, and uh, a way of subjugating a different race, which you know, Italians have not necessarily experienced. I think historically they were uh, the disadvantaged white race uh, in that sense. They were recent immigrants. Uh, but they, you know, they, they didn't quite reach the level, I think, of oppression that uh, blacks did through Jim Crow and, and slavery. So um, it, it's an interesting debate to see play out. I think it's very reflective of our pop culture, reactionary, Twitter-heavy culture these days. Uh, so I, I'm mostly an observer on that one. <laughs> I don't have a strong opinion either way. Um. All right, well, let's move on. Trump reportedly hoping to... Uh, uh, by Greenland, according to new reports, uh, aides are. Uh, it's being reported that uh, Trump has talked to aides about purchasing the country. Um, however, uh, Greenland's prime minister uh, not happy about the uh, rumors, saying in a quote, "This has to be an April Fool's joke." Uh, Trump putting up a tweet uh, of Greenland with a Trump Tower uh, photoshopped in. Uh, with the caption saying, I would never do this to Greenland. Uh, Omar, what are your thoughts on uh, on Donald Trump uh, hoping to buy Greenland? Well, I, I just think this is an example of what Trump meant when he said that he's a very stable genius. 
uh, <laughs> this is a brand new idea. You know, no one's had it before, so I have to credit him for that. Uh, but then it was very interesting to watch him cancel his trip to Denmark at the last second uh, over this issue. It suggests that he was only visiting Denmark, one of our NATO allies, uh, over this idea of his. Uh, and it's it's made us an object of ridicule on the national stage. Uh, most leaders, before they present ideas like this publicly, would use uh, back channels and be more discreet, uh, so they wouldn't have to face such a public rejection in the first place. Uh, and, you know, it, I think it just shows how much Trump views the office of the presidency as glorifying himself. Because one of his responses to the prime minister was, you're not just talking to me, you're talking to the United States of America. And the fact that Donald Trump thinks he represents most Americans on this issue, uh, I think should be an object of concern for most Americans. Because I, I don't think he did any polling on it. I don't think he asked anyone before the idea popped into his head. Uh, so it's, it's just a, a very emblematic aspect of how this presidency works or doesn't work, depending on your point of view. Uh, and I, I, uh, I'm just thinking of a, a post I saw on Facebook that made a good joke. And I, they said, you want, it showed the prime minister of Denmark saying, do you want to hear a joke? And uh, President Trump and the other panel says, yes. The prime minister says, uh, Greenland. And Trump says, I don't get it. And the prime minister says, yes, and you never will. Because <laughs> the, the Danes are not interested in selling. I, I think that territory is a point of national pride for them. It's one of the last remaining aspects of whatever empire they had in the past. And uh, I, the, the most funny thing about this is that none of us know why Donald Trump came up with this idea. Uh, he, I heard he viewed it as a real estate deal. Uh, may, maybe there's something to that because the ice there is melting in record levels. So soon it will be ice free and there'll be lots of empty land there to develop. Uh, but the question is, would anyone actually want to live or go there? And I, I don't think they necessarily would. All right. Uh, so um, this year there uh, is a gubernatorial race, a very closely watched gubernatorial race in uh in Mississippi, Mississippi, a traditionally Republican state. Uh, however, Democrats do see a glimmer of hope that they may be able to pick this one up. It's an open seat this year, and popular Attorney General uh, Jim Hood is running as a Democrat uh, for in uh, in the state of Mississippi. Um, uh, this week, uh, or no, uh, last week, there were primaries uh, in Mississippi. Um, and the Democrat is now clear. Um, however, it is not yet clear uh, who uh, will win the Republican uh, nomination. Uh, right now, uh, Jim Hood, the Mississippi Attorney General, won the Democratic nomination uh, easily, uh, ousting um, other candidates such as Michael Brown, as well as uh, William Bond Compton Jr., and Hines County District Attorney Robert Shuler Smith, uh, he easily dispatched of those candidates. Um, however, uh, right now it is currently unclear uh, who uh, will be the Republican nominee. Uh, Robert uh, Tate Reeves received uh, the incumbent lieutenant governor received 49% in the primary, but that was just a percentage point under the 50% threshold he needed to become the nominee. He is now going to advance to a runoff with, uh, with former Chief Justice of the Mississippi State Supreme Court, Bill Waller. 
uh, the two locked in that. Uh, state lawmaker Robert Foster was eliminated in the primary, so now it's between Waller and uh, Tate Reeves. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Mississippi gubernatorial race, and do you think there's a legitimate chance that uh, a Democrat could pick up the seat, that uh, potentially uh, a ter- uh, General Hood could pick up the seat? As I'm hearing about this, I'm, I'm just thinking about the fallout from Roy Moore in, in neighboring Alabama and uh, the pedophilia charges against him and, and how much that has damaged the Republican Party's reputation there that we're even talking about whether a Democrat has a chance in the South. Um, I, I wish I could offer a more informed perspective on Mississippi specifically. I, I vaguely remember reading an article about how Democrats are making gains there more generally uh, and... Republicans are worried about losing their historic Southern advantage. Uh, and I, I remember reading that that is an issue for Republicans now. Um, I don't know if it was because of Roy Moore specifically, but that is certainly a, a, a card in the deck. <laughs> um, and I, I don't know. Uh, there's rumblings about it in Texas. There have been for a few years now. Um, and it, it will take an election for us to find out for sure, because as we know, the polls can uh, only tell us so much. All right, well, let's continue on to the next story then. The next story uh, is involving uh, uh, Rashida uh, Talbot, the Michigan congresswoman, um, and um, in uh, Israel. Uh, So recently, uh, Israel said uh, that... um, uh, said that two uh, members of uh Congress um uh would not be allowed to go to to take a trip to Israel. Uh those two uh were Minnesota Congresswoman Elan Omar uh and Michigan Congresswoman uh Rashida Talbid. Um uh Netanyahu uh made the decision uh saying that those who support BDS uh, or those who support um, uh, uh, any sort of boycott against Israel would not be uh, allowed in. Um, uh, Talbid that later uh, put out a tweet uh, talking about how she wanted to meet her uh, 90-year-old grandmother who was in that region. Uh, however, uh, Israel eventually... Uh, allowed uh, her to and lifted the ban uh, on her entering the nation. Uh, However, she later decided against visiting. Uh, Omar, what are your thoughts on this controversy? Uh, It's just very interesting to watch. Um, I I have sympathies on both sides of the issue. Uh, I I tend to favor a two-state solution uh, to the conflict, but I've also seen hope for that grow dimmer over the years as the conflict has stayed protracted. Uh, And I I think that's some of the conflict we're seeing over uh, BDS, which is the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement against Israel, which is an economic attempt uh, to, I guess, quote-unquote, fight Israel in a way that violence has not worked. Uh, I know there has been a movement recently to criminalize uh, support for the BDS movement in the United States, which was very concerning. 
Uh, so I'm, I'm glad that we have uh, people like uh, Ms. Omar and, and Ms. Tlaib who can uh, speak out on these issues and, and try to give voice to them. At the same time, I have seen some criticism of Ms. Tlaib, the way she raised it, and some inconsistencies about the history of her grandmother. Um, but I, I, I think all that should be pretty minor, I think, compared to the substantive discussion we have in front of us about how to solve uh, this Middle East crisis and, and, and how we resolve the status of the Palestinian people. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised in all the media coverage and the, the shock and the uh, cover, covering of the scandal, there's been very little substantive or policy discussion about this. How, how do we actually move forward, I think, is the question that all this raises. Uh, and I, I, right now, I, I just don't see a way. And I, I think that's why the BDS movement has gained popularity, uh, even though some have attempted to criminalize it or, or label it as anti-Semitic, which uh, I, I, I don't understand. Uh, <laughs> if you're going to peacefully protest something, I, I think BDS is the way you do it. What were your thoughts on them, them being banned from the country? Uh, so I, I, as I understand it, that was due to pressure from President Trump. Uh, he, he called on Israel to do that. Um, I, I think I heard you say that that ban was rescinded. So if it was, I think that's a good thing because it, it shows that Israel isn't totally beholden to the U.S. and that they value some uh, freedom of, of uh, discussion and, and differences in their, their debate. Um, but, yeah, it, it was kind of sad to watch. <laughs> Just one more relic of the Trump era that I, I hope we leave in the dustbin of history when we have the next election, but that remains to be seen. All right. Uh, so a major uh, campaign talking point that President Trump has been talking about uh, is uh, the strong economy. Uh, as it's been said in the past, um, I think it was written in one of the books by Bill Clinton's campaign manager, It's the Economy, Stupid, uh, implying that that was the most important issue on P- on a lot of voters' minds. Um, and uh, uh, Donald Trump... Uh, talking, uh, Donald Trump uh, has been talking about the economy a lot lately, but could that strong economy be disappearing soon? Uh, this week, uh, the Dow Jones dropped more than 600 points. Uh, this has fueled uh, fears that a recession could be on the horizon. Um, however, Donald Trump uh, uh, dec- uh, denying those claims, uh, going to New Hampshire... Uh, saying to uh, voters that you may not like uh, my tweets, you may not like my attitude, but uh, ultimately the economy is going to stay good and you're going to have to uh, listen and you're going and ultimately because of that you're going to vote for me. Um, what are your thoughts on the uh, potential recession? Well, uh, first, let me just say no one has a crystal ball. I mean, I I think uh, the economy started dropping in the final months of the Obama campaign in 2008 that kind of gave him the extra edge he needed to overcome uh, John McCain. So uh, until we're talking like October of 2020, I I don't think anyone should be making predictions about a strong economy because you you never know. Um, The the tension that we're seeing on Wall Street is coming from uh, this trade war with China uh, which we are expecting will reduce um, revenue for, among large companies because the, the flow of goods across that border is what has kept this economy going, basically. Uh, so it, it's going to be interesting to see if and how the economy can reorganize around those higher tariffs. Uh, I, I just know from personal experience, Wall Street hates losses of any kind. 
So once you start seeing something go down, a lot of other things might go down too. And one of the things we've already seen go down uh, is something called the yield curve in, in U.S. Treasury bonds. And they haven't slipped since uh, the last economic crisis in 2007. And that, that took a year to play out. So I, I think Donald Trump should be more careful with his words, uh, which is advice on basically everything he says. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I don't wish the economy ill. You know, I, I'm an American. I want us to do well. But at the same time, I see a lot of concerning signs that we, we are headed toward a bad place if we keep going on the path this president is taking us. Um. All right, so let's get to the final story here tonight. Uh, This is involving controversy over another CNN anchor, this time Don Lemon, uh, a a person uh, accusing him of uh, assaulting assaulting him in a sexual way. Uh, These uh, uh, claims are coming against uh, Don Lemon. uh, they're coming from a uh, bartender named Dustin Heiss uh, of Florida, uh, who's now suing uh, Don Lemon. Um, here he's claiming right now that um, he was in the bar and he offered to buy him a vodka drink called a quote lemon drop. Um, lemon, uh, lemon declined the offer, but uh, approached him and then according to the quote it says quote lemon put his hand down uh the front uh i should warn everybody listening this is um somewhat graphic information but it says quote lemon put his hands his hand down the front of his uh own shorts and vigorously rubbed his genitalia removed his hand and shoved his index and his middle fingers into the uh, plaintiff's mustache and under the plaintiff's nose. Um, so he's now uh, suing him. Uh, there is um, uh, a, uh, a person uh, who is claiming right now uh, that uh, who, who is claiming that he was there and he witnessed it happening. Um, however, there is uh, no new information. Yeah, George... Uh, uh, Ju- uh, Junilius, who uh, managed uh, Dustin Heiss at the uh, Old Stove Pub in July of 2018, is saying uh, he recalled that incident happening. Um, what are your thoughts on the allegations against Don Lemon? It's really early to say either way for sure, um, but I, I will say that something stood out to me in terms of what makes me think this story might not be completely true is that uh, Don Lemon declined his advance. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me that you would decline someone's advance and then proceed to act on them in such a sexual way. Uh, so it just strikes me as someone possibly trying to exploit this for personal gain and or tarnish his reputation because uh, I, I know that Lemon has been a figurehead of criticism uh, by President Trump personally. I don't know the accuser's political leanings and I, I don't want to say for sure that he's making it up because I, I don't know. Uh, but that that's just my initial reaction. Uh, it looks like we have one more story. I apologize. Um, but this one story is about the third debates. Uh, the third debates... Uh, uh, the third debate, which is scheduled to be on ABC uh, in September, uh, we now know uh, the 10th 
uh, person who has qualified uh, for said debate, and we know who the moderator of that debate will be. We know that George Stephanopoulos uh, will be the moderator of the debate in September, of the Democratic primary debate in September on ABC. Uh, We now know that former uh, U.S. uh, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, Julian Castro, has become the 10th Democrat to qualify to be on that debate stage. Uh, He joins nine other Democrats, uh, including former U.S. Vice President Joe Biden, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, uh, California Senator Kamala Harris, South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke, New Jersey Senator Cory Booker, businessman Andrew Yang, uh, and Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar uh, as the 10th candidate uh, to make the stage. Uh, Obviously, the uh, donor requirements have been lifted, uh, so now uh, you used to have to get uh, 65,000 signatures to qualify. Um, Now you need 130,000 donors to qualify, uh, and you need to be uh, getting 3% in five polls to make it onto the next debate stage. Um, right now, there are three candidates that have made the donor requirement, uh, but have yet to fulfill the polling requirement. Uh, those three candidates include uh, businessman Tom Steyer, Hawaii Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, and author Marianne Williamson. However, just as there was controversy Uh, regarding qualifications for the first debate with uh, Montana Governor Steve Bullock and uh, controversy over qualifications for the second debate with former Alaska Senator Mike Gravel. There seems to be more controversy right now, this time about the qualification of Hawaii Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, Two polls that were uh, initially considered qualifying Uh, The DNC are now saying that they are not qualifying and they have changed their opinion on those polls, uh, which decreases the likelihood that Gabbard will make the third debate stage. Uh, Omar, what are your thoughts on Castro making the debate stage and what are your thoughts on the controversy uh, with Gabbard and the qualifications? Well, uh, personally, I've been seeing a lot of Facebook ads from Julian Castro uh, asking for small donations. So I imagine that's how he got those uh, that met that minimum donor threshold. Um, as far as Ms. Gabbard, uh, I, I do feel sorry that she hasn't been able to keep up, uh, but I can understand the DNC's inclination to tighten the requirements to help focus the conversation and make sure that the most, uh, I, I guess, prominent national figures are, are part of the discussion. Um so, yeah, I, I, I hope it works out for the best for everyone and, and for people who might be a little bit peeved that they didn't make the requirements. I would just say go campaign a little harder and, and uh, you know, work on your strategy. Right now, businessman Tom Steyer uh, suggested that the DNC should make their requirements more inclusive so that more candidates can make the debate stage. Do you agree with that? No, I don't. I, I've seen a lot of Facebook ads from Tom, and, and he's a former businessman, and, and he's running on some fairly generic uh, blue issues. Um, I, the Facebook reactions I've seen to his posts have been mostly negative. <laughs> so uh, I, I don't think he's someone that 
is resonating with people, and uh, he, sh- he should seek that support organically instead of asking the Democrats to relax the requirements. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us for another episode, Omar. Do you want to tell people where you can be found on social media? Uh, sure. So it, it's P-O-L-W-N-D-W, the abbreviation for Political Window, on Facebook and Twitter. And I, I just try to post the most relevant, latest political news. All right. Thank you, sir. Bye. Thank you. Bye. The president's racist rhetoric should be enough grounds for everybody in this country to vote him out of office. He is the sitting Democratic senator from Colorado. He was considered to be Barack Obama's education secretary. He almost turned down his own Senate seat, but now wants to be president. Who is Michael Bennett, one of two Colorado Democrats seeking the presidency? The candidates. Keep America great. Their story. Yeah, you're always, when you're young, you're always patted on the head and told that you're the future. But I'm interested in what you can bring to the present. And their fight for the White House. I have the most progressive record of anybody running. If you look at Joe's record and you look at my record, I don't think there's much question about who's more progressive. Presidential Profiles 2020. How we could actually make this government work, not just for a thin slice at the top, but make it work for everyone else. I think that Sure, if people want to specula- speculate about running mates, I encourage that because I think that Joe Biden would be a great running mate as vice president. Michael Ferrand Bennett was born on the 28th of November 1964 in New Delhi, India, the son of Susan and Douglas. His father worked for then U.S. Ambassador to India Chester Bowles. His father was Christian while his mother was a Jewish Holocaust survivor from Poland. His grandfather worked for President Franklin D. Roosevelt. Bennett's father would go on to be an aide to U.S. Vice President Hubert Humphrey. President Jimmy Carter asked Bennett's father to head the United States Agency for International Development. He would later serve as CEO of NPR and later Assistant Secretary of State for International Organization Affairs. Bennett himself would go on to attend Harvard. In the late 1980s, Bennett would become an aide to Ohio Governor Dick Celeste before pursuing a legal career. He later worked for White House counsel Lloyd Cutler. After this, Bennett pursued a career in business, working for Regal Cinema and eventually joining the Anschutz Corporation where he met John Hickenlooper, a man running for mayor of Denver, Colorado. Bennett clerked for his successful campaign and served as his chief of staff for two years. Hickenlooper would go on to serve as governor of Colorado for eight years. He is currently Bennett's opponent in the 2020 Democratic primary for U.S. President. Bennett married Susan Daggett in 1997. They have three children together. Bennett was appointed superintendent of Denver Public Schools in 2005. In 2008, he worked on the presidential campaign of then-Illinois Senator Barack Obama. 
Bennett was considered to be Barack Obama's education secretary, though Arne Duncan was eventually selected for that role. It was announced in early 2009 that Colorado Senator Ken Salazar would be appointed to U.S. Interior Secretary. With the vacancy now open, Colorado Governor Bill Ritter appointed Bennett to Salazar's seat. Seen this ad for Ken Buck? It's courtesy of George Bush's political strategist, Carl Rove. He's actually attacking Michael Bennett for votes to fund our troops in Iraq and Afghanistan. Reject the false attacks. Michael Bennett's a businessman who saved jobs. In his year in the Senate, he's fought for tax cuts for the middle class and helped pass tax cuts for small businesses so they can create jobs. Common sense, not politics. I'm Michael Bennett, and I approve this message. Bennett would now have to win a full term to retain Salazar's seat. Former Democratic Speaker of the Colorado House of Representatives Andrew Romanoff challenged Bennett in a primary. The race became extremely competitive, but Bennett benefited from an endorsement from President Obama. In spite of a bruising primary, Bennett defeated Romanoff by a 54 to 46% margin. In the general election, however, Bennett faced a formidable foe in Republican Ken Buck. A strong Republican current in 2010 hurt Bennett's chances of winning, with most polls indicating satisfying results for Buck. In spite of this, Bennett won by a 48 to 46% margin. Bennett maintained a moderate record in the U.S. Senate, having a mixed record on guns whilst opposing Medicare for all. However, he takes more liberal views on Obamacare and abortion. In 2016, he ran for re-election, challenging Republican Daryl Glenn. The race proved to be competitive yet again. However, as the race drew closer, Bennett saw an uptick in polling. He beat Glenn by a 50-44% margin. Bennett continued to serve until 2019 when he announced he'd be running for the presidency in 2020. Now, he hopes to be America's 46th president. So join me if you want to get to work. It's time to build the future. For more Presidential Profiles 2020, keep it right here on Politics Weekly.